Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a podcast by Family Bridges for modern parenting. Check out this week's episode. So, what do you think of Peter? He's a little weird, right? <laughs> well, why don't we have a seat and I'll share what's come up. Greetings, parent. I am Maestro, mechanical automated education service bot teaching regular organization. Waiting for a response. October 5th, 1990. You know how June hates loud noises. She moved to the corner of the room and got in this fetal position. She was so scared. The Struggle is Real podcast starts in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to The Struggle is Real, a modern parenting podcast by Family Bridges. Thanks for joining us. I'm Veronica Avila, and with me is my podcast partner, Omar Ramos. Veronica, great to see you again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me, like always. <laughs> hey, Veronica. So, yeah, here we go again. And today we got a unique podcast as we learn how to raise differently wired children. So please stick around because I can promise you we're going to learn a whole lot today. Our resident expert, Dr. Lisa Lowe, who's on special assignment, joining us today is Dr. James Hamelwan, I hope I said that correctly, psychologist, researcher, and project analyst at Family Bridges. He's married to his wonderful wife, Sarah, and have two daughters, Lillian and Juliet. Dr. James Hamelwan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yes, and also via telephone, we have a special guest, Debbie Reber. She's a New York Times bestselling author, podcast host, life coach, and speaker who spent more than 10 years writing inspiring books books for women and teens and speaking about issues like media literacy, self-esteem, and confidence. She is also the creator of Tilt Parenting, a place and the revolution for parents raising differently wired or neurologically atypical children. She's written nine books, including her most recent, Differently Wired, Raising an Extraordinary Child in a Conventional World, which is going to be published in June 2018. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And we're happy to have you join us all the way from Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Long way away. How's the weather out there today? It's as you would expect on a fall day. It's rainy and windy. Mm. Not so nice. Debbie, I'm sure many parents out there can relate to your story and will be able to acquire helpful and useful information today. I just wanted to share some quick facts about one in six to eight children has been identified with autism spectrum disorder or ASD, according to estimates from the CDC's Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, but we want you to listen to the skit that's happening. Uh, Veronica, I don't know if you want to add something right before we get started. Yes, we would like to hear a little bit more about Debbie's Tilt Parenting. What is Tilt Parenting and why should parents go check it out? Well, I created Tilt Parenting to be an online community and kind of a supportive place for parents raising differently wired kids to get access to resources and information and more than anything to know that they're not alone and to realize that the journey that they're on with their atypical kids, whether they have autism or ADHD or dyslexia or sensory issues or any other way of being differently wired, that really there are a lot of out there and you don't have to feel isolated and overwhelmed when you're going through this journey. That's correct. And Debbie has a son, Asher, who is the person that inspired you to start doing this tilt parenting. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience? 
Sure. Yeah. So my son Asher is now 13 and he's differently wired. He has Asperger's, ADHD, and he's also profoundly gifted. So he has been a very complicated person to be raising and try to figure out how to find a good school fit for him, just how to navigate the traditional parenting journey, because we realized early on that it wasn't going to look the way it looked for most of our friends. Mm -hmm. So we have gone through a lot to get to where we are now, a number of schools that we've gone through, and I'm now homeschooling him full time. This is our fifth year homeschooling, and we're in a really good place now. He's really feeling respected and seen for who he is and he's getting to learn in a way that allows him to let his differently wiredness kind of be out there in the world and not be seen as a behavioral problem or something that needs to be corrected, which happens in schools for a lot of kids like this. Thank you for sharing your story and I'm sure many parents who are listening out there can definitely relate to you and this is going to be a very helpful podcast also for those of us that know kids who have autism but don't really know how to interact or what to say or what not to say. So thank you very much for being with us. Debbie, can I go ahead and ask you a question? How how did you know or suspect that maybe your son had autism? We really didn't know until he was maybe five or six. I mean, I think when he was younger, he was just a very intense child. So I always say that he was more everything. He was more intense. He was more wiggly. He was crying more. His rages or tantrums were bigger. Everything just was a little more intense. He was also more talkative. So he was just a kind of unique. And so we knew something was going on, but it took a number of years to really put the pieces together and figure out what he needed. It wasn't a It wasn't so obvious, and that's the way it is for many parents like me. There's no kind of real clear sign about what's going on. It's a puzzle. Well, thank you for sharing that. Very, very interesting. And why don't we go into our first skit? This is called... The Communication Breakdown, coming up next. Listen up. Here we go. Mr. and Mrs. Milam, please have a seat. So, what do you think of Peter? He's a little weird, right? (laughs) Well, why don't we have a seat and I'll share what's come up. Jesus, this sounds grave. Jack. I know what she's going to say. It's autism, right? That's why we're here. It's a little more complicated. It can't be autism, right? We would have noticed sooner. Well, your son is very high-functioning, that's clear. Some forms of autism are particularly discreet. From our interactions and from what you've told me about your son, he seems to be showing signs of being on the autistic spectrum. He also appears to have trouble with attention. Sure, he's a little weird and distracted, but that doesn't mean he's got something. Listen, it's not like he's catching a bug. This wasn't a blood test. It was a patient and comprehensive way of trying to understand your son's relationship to the world. He's a good kid. I'm not saying he's not. Whenever I share information like this, I want to be clear and say that he is still the baby you fell in love. He's still the son you have always loved. Right. Okay, well... At least we know more about the struggles we've been having with him. Everything you've told me about his trouble relating to people and with his tantrums led me to keep an eye out. Kids throw tantrums. Jeez, when when I was a kid, I I threw tantrums all the time. Right. Isn't this just childish behavior? You've noticed how Peter regularly avoids eye contact, right? How he seems hypersensitive to sound and smell? I mean, uh, I can be a little shy. Maybe he learned it from me. What I observed with him was more than shyness. It was like he was struggling to understand social rules or perspectives, something that spoke to his wiring. So he's wired wrong? 
now we're going to put him on drugs or something, aren't we? Jackie, you need to calm down and listen. Please, I'm trying to relate a professional opinion, and your combativeness is making it very difficult. Fine. I'll pipe down. So, I currently don't know if prescribing something is the answer. The next step would be a more comprehensive diagnostic evaluation. Isn't that what this was? This takes a little more time. We have to figure out just what Peter needs. Is it something I can't give? I'll give anything for him. Of course, the more love and care you can give is always better. I can tell this is hard for you, but I must be clear it's not your fault. Or yours, Jack. I know it's not my fault. I just, I don't want his life to be any harder, you know? Well, we've got things early on, and early intervention is the best chance we have at growth. Do we tell him? Do we let him know? Is it like if he, we had to tell him he was sick? I always advocate a policy of openness. It helps remove the stigma of it all. And when it's appropriate, I think it's worth having a talk with his older brother about it. I can refer you to some material that ought to smooth things over. This is a lot. I know. I used the microwave before I knew I was pregnant. Is that it? I think you are looking to blame yourself, Barbara, and that's not helpful. It's up to both of you as Peter's parents to help him grow. I'll help, too, as much as I can. I mean, we can't drive an hour to see you every week, Doctor. And an hour back, I mean, we, we both work. There are some specialists closer to you both that I'd 100% recommend. One in 100 children are diagnosed with a form of autism these days. These therapies are becoming quite a bit more accessible. So we have to call him autistic now? The language you choose is entirely up to you. These are words, and as you'll learn with Peter... Communication is much more than words. Now let's go through some of the next steps. Okay, so we're back, and uh, we just heard Jack and Barbara getting the diagnosis of their son. Dr. Barkovich confirms that their son, Peter, is on the autism spectrum. They become anxious and upset. The doctor tries to calm them by letting them know that there is an entire community that they can connect with and that they didn't do anything wrong to make this happen. And most importantly, that Peter is still a great kid. Dr. James... What is going through the minds of these parents right now? They're probably thinking a hundred different things all at once. They're struggling to adjust to a new reality. Many parents have heard at least some things about the autism spectrum, and they will have formed certain assumptions about what this will mean for their child. But those assumptions could be wildly inaccurate. As the doctor noted, many parents may find themselves looking for someone to blame or taking the blame on themselves, despite the logic that they could not have prevented this. Mm -hmm. Really, this moment of receiving the news is a transformational one. It marks the start of a grieving process, as they realize that many of the hopes, dreams, and assumptions they had previously held about their child's life and their lives with their child have just been drastically altered. As with any grieving process, it's likely going to encompass elements of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, as were laid out by Dr. Kuleros many years ago. And of course, one of the central questions that's going to be with them for the days and weeks to come is, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. Parenting is always a challenge, and no one comes to it fully prepared, but having the, the rules of the game changed on you right in the middle can leave you even more doubtful of your own competence and your ability to handle it than you ever have been. Of course, they still love Peter, but now they're facing a completely different idea of what they need to do to give him the best possible chance and where that chance might take him. And that can be very disorienting and disheartening. Now, Debbie, 
based on your experience and the parents that you've worked with, we know that many people view the diagnosis of a child as a terrible stigma. But how do they move from that state of shock or denial into more of a state of let's move forward in a practical and patient manner? How do parents do that? I think it is important to allow time for the morning, you know, and to to give yourself time to process the information. And mm -hmm. because it is a reframing of what you thought your life with your child was going to look like or what you thought their future was going to look like, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a bad thing. But we have to kind of take a step back and realize that we had this one picture in our head and now things may look different or are going to look different. And I think it's important to give yourself the time to experience that and not feel guilty about that or not mm -hmm. judge yourself for needing that time. And once you've given yourself a chance and you've talked with people that you trust and started to tap into the resources around you, you can really start to realize that this is just information to give you a better sense of who your child is and what they need to better support themselves. There is no one way that a child with autism, that their life is going to look. There are no rules here. So mm -hmm. there's so much possibility for kids who are differently wired and just being willing to be curious about what that might look like and how can I support my own child on this journey to get them the help that they need and knowing that anything really is possible here. Now, you just mentioned the uh, support that your child might need as soon as you find out the situation that the family is in. You offer a seven-day challenge to help parents tilt their parenting style. Can you expand a little bit more on this and other resources available through the Tilt Parenting? Sure. The seven-day challenge that I offered is to really help parents get some immediate relief because the other thing that you're feeling when you first receive this news is just a sense of overwhelm. It mm -hmm. can be really daunting to suddenly just have, again, this picture of what your child's life would look like, suddenly have a very different image. So the seven-day challenge is every day for seven days, I offer parents a little reframe, a tip, something that they can incorporate into their life. And it's really just a little shift that will help them feel differently about their experience because nothing has changed. You still have the same child, mm -hmm. you know, Peter is still Peter, as, as the skit said. And so it's really about us changing the way that we're thinking, the way that we're choosing to act and behave and feel about our circumstances. So in the seven-day challenge, I challenge parents to question their thinking and to make these little shifts that will help them feel more positive about what's going on because our kids are so sensitive to how we're feeling and thinking. So we really want to make sure we're taking care of ourselves. In terms of other resources, when you get a diagnosis, the assessor will likely recommend different types of support, whether that's parent support groups, which a lot of schools have them. There are so many online support groups and Facebook groups where people can share and get tips and advice and, and sometimes just vent if you've had a bad day. And then there are very specific therapies that your child can start working on as well. And, and, and as someone who assesses them will steer you in the right direction. Very insightful. Great information. And for the parents out there listening who may have just gotten a diagnosis, there you have it. There, the resources are out there. Be proactive. Look for them. They are out there in the community. There is a support community out there that you can also access as well. Now let's move along to our second skit. This is called Maestro. Greetings, parent. I am Maestro, mechanical automated education service bot teaching regular organization. 
waiting for a response. Uh, hello. Hello. I'm the parent. Good afternoon. Mm -hmm. Please state your child's birthday in month, day, and year. 10-6-2033. Name of child? Oliver Mitkiss. Searching. All right. Mitkiss, Oliver, your child's performance is unsatisfactory. I have a song about that. Unsatisfactory by what standard? Unsatisfactory scores lead to unsatisfactory job placement, leads to the district losing funding, which is unsatisfactory. Well, my son requires some special attention. Do you seek alternative education methods? Yes. Yes, yes. I'm here to advocate for more unique methods of educating Oliver. Please present medical records. Of course. I have all my paperwork here. Insert into Maestro. Make sure papers are flat. Here are all his medical records, evaluations, and history in the flattest paper I could find. Reading. Finding. Bound. Oliver has autism, a mental condition characterized by difficulty in communicating and forming relationships with other people and in using language and abstract concepts. Right. Well, that's the literal definition, but autism can be as different as people are. All education is maestro. Maestro is mechanical, automated. But all learners are individuals. All students are learners if they're learning. Maestro has a song about that. I don't want to hear the song. Listen, my son in particular often feels overwhelmed by the sensory world. He'll need a more specialized environment. Searching for specialized environment. Found. Closet specially designed for brooms. No. No, absolutely not. You're not going to stick my son in a closet. In fact, I, I want Oliver in a typical classroom with someone to help facilitate positive social interactions. Social interactions are for recess. You don't encourage group work in classes? Searching, no. What about during movement between classes? Searching, no. Well, that's not what'll help Oliver. He'll be much more concentrated if he's given frequent and deliberate opportunities for physical movement. Interactions are distractions. Oliver often gets distracted, but I'd still like him to have time with other neurotypical kids outside of the spectrum. Look, I actually made a list of objectives I wanted to cover for this. Please insert sheet into Maestro. Okay. Please make sure all papers are flat. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, this details the sort of educational goals I have for Oliver. Sound strategies for helping to facilitate his growth. Searching. Situation is complicated. One size fits all does not fit. Contacting administrator. Beep. 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 Hi. I help with administration. Can I help you? A real person. A real person. Maestro has a song Power about down. that. Oh. Yeah, the Maestro bots can be quite robotic. Let's take a look at what we can do for your son. Oh my gosh, finally a real person. All right, well, we listened to Miranda, a parent trying to advocate for her son to receive proper treatment and more of an individualized educational 
plan, but found herself talking with Maestro, or Maestro, a futuristic cookie cutter kind of education style machine. And then finally, an administrator came along and hopefully will be able to help Miranda. Debbie, I'm sure many parents face a similar situation in many schools. What can a parent do to ease the frustration and continue to advocate for their child? And how can they seek help to ensure that their child gets the best educational experience possible? Well, yes, this is something so many parents like me struggle with. And I think the most important thing to remember is that we want to have a positive relationship with our kids' teachers as much as possible. Mm -hmm. It can often happen that we have this more adversarial relationship that we think it's us versus them mm -hmm. or the teacher's not understanding our child, and that can create a lot of stress. So I really recommend that we work hard to foster a partnership, to look at our kids' teachers as our allies and to support them and giving them the tools and information that they need to best support our kids. At the end of the day, yeah, there are some bad teachers here and there, but most of them get into this work because they love kids and educating them and they want our kids to succeed. Mm -hmm. So starting off on the right foot, being proactive with them, giving them information and tools that can help them, treating them as an ally. And then also knowing that we do have some room to push for things. I always mm -hmm. think there's wiggle room. And sometimes when we're asking for extra support for our kids in the classroom, it's easier for schools to say no. You know, if what we're asking for is going to cost extra money or mm -hmm. extra time. And I really encourage the parents to continue to advocate and to gently push for the answers that we need to help our child have the best educational environment that they can have. Definitely. You know, when you were saying that, I was remembering, I have a very close friend of mine who just, her son was diagnosed not too long ago with autism, and he was having a lot of trouble at school. I mean, he wasn't getting the, the individualized education plan that he needed, and my friend was very frustrated. She was so frustrated. She went to talk to the teachers, and they kept telling her, We don't have the staff that specialized in autism, so we would refer you to another school. But she kept having this attitude of, you know, they just don't want to help me. Obviously, she was frustrated. She was overwhelmed. She, she kept crying, and she didn't know what to do. Finally, and I'm so happy that she finally did uh, switch over to another school they recommended, and the little boy is doing better now. So I'm just really mm -hmm. happy. And just some words of encouragement, Debbie, because some parents can be so overwhelmed and, and just feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel because they don't know how to deal with it. What can you say to them? I would just say that if you don't have the answer now, it's because you haven't found it yet. It can be difficult to navigate this and to find the right school fit, but there are schools out there, there are teachers who embrace these kids, and you will find your allies. You know, Asher's kindergarten teacher, the school was a tricky fit for him, but Asher's teacher loved him because they shared a love of cats and engineering. So they had this little thing, and that teacher was our light, you know, that year. She got us through that year, and she cared for him. So those people are out there, and it does take a little work sometimes to find the right fit, but it does exist, and it's always worth it when you're able to put in the time and to make those connections for our kids. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, I, I want to go ahead and pitch this question to the doctor that we have here with us today. What can our school systems do to make individualized education accessible for children with autism? It's a, a pretty big question, and it's one that doesn't have a one 
single, clean, clear-cut answer. Before I give an answer to that, I just want to take a note. Well, school systems are not my particular specialty. I am blessed to be married to a wonderful woman who works in a local school providing individualized education to atypical children. So I can cheat a little bit and uh, crib off my wife's notes a bit. Uh, (laughs) And one of the things I want to say about this scenario that we just listened to is uh, Miranda did her homework. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the things that she's talking about that she's advocating for her child are the very same things that educators in the school system are going to be advocating for one point. You don't necessarily want to have a complete individualized education plan for the student where they're off by themselves. That's Mm -hmm. like the last thing you want to do. You want to have them in the classroom as much as possible to the greatest extent that they can. You want them to have the same experience that everyone else in their peer group is having. That helps them to develop more positive relationships. And it also helps the other students in the class get used to having someone around who's a little bit different. It helps normalize the situation, Mm -hmm. helps them learn how to react appropriately. It's also important for these children, though, to have their own space, not a broom closet, but some space where they can be comfortable and they have space to decompress and work things out and have some individualized support when they need to do that. Having a daily schedule prepared in advance and making sure that it's mapped out with images that they recognize or words that they're very comfortable reading so that they know exactly what their structure is helps make things a lot more accessible for them. Learning what accommodations you'd need. Make sure that those are available for the children. Mm-hmm. Anticipate the unexpected. If you know that the routine is going to be different three or four days from now, start laying the groundwork now so it doesn't hit them as a surprise. If you know there's a fire drill coming up, have some earphones ready so that they're not going to be orally assaulted by that noise. Knowing what the kids need and having the resources available is key. Finally, it's really important if you can to get the kids to be involved in after-school programs as well, giving them the opportunity to share an interest with their Mm -hmm. peers, going to the choir or going to a comic book club or or whatever it is that they're interested in. It gives them a chance to develop those social interactions and gives the school another way of getting to know more about the child. Finally, like the children themselves, each school is its own unique case. There's no one-size-fits-all answer because different Mm -hmm. schools have access to different resources in terms of staff, space, funding, volunteer and parent support, involvement, all those things. Uh, One of the best things for schools in terms of providing support to these children is the involvement and cooperation of their parents. The more the parents can get involved and provide more detailed information Mm -hmm. and really advocate for what their child needs, the better the school can support them and the better the staff in the school can advocate for those needs. And the experiences that they have can help both improve the parents' ability to work with the children and the parents can help improve the school. It's a feedback system. So Mm -hmm. uh, really, the more that you can be involved and advocate for your children in the right school, you're going to find the people there who want to work with you. And that totally makes sense. Now, we've talked about the school system and and the education they're going to get. I think you hit the nail, right? Social interactions are important as well. Debbie, what happens... um, with with the the rest of of our family, the the, the people that they're interacting uh, socially outside of of the classroom per se, how do we advocate for our children? Then how do we help others understand and how to interact with a differently wired child? That is such a good question, and it's something that I think so many of us need help with. Mm-hmm. I believe it's important to be upfront with information that we have. So many parents with atypical kids are concerned about stigma, mm-hmm. and therefore they don't tell maybe a camp counselor in a summer camp program or other adults who might be interacting with our kids. They may not tell them what's going on because they're concerned that their kid will be looked at differently or have a target on their back or be stigmatized. And so I think it's really important that we're upfront with our child's challenges or areas where they may struggle because otherwise we're setting our kids up for failure. We're putting them in a bad situation and we're also not giving the adults in those situations the opportunity to be supportive for our kids. So 
I think it's important to just tell people up front with Asher, for example, he did a lot of different summer camps, but I would say chance is a factor, you know, flipping a coin or a game of chance. That can be really difficult for him because if things don't go his way, he perceives that as being unfair and then he could get really upset. So if you're going to play a game like that, give him a heads up first. Ask him if he wants to participate. If he doesn't, I have two books in his backpack. Give him a little mm-hmm. space to read. So that's just an example, but it's really important to empower the other adults who are working with our kids to know how to support our child if they have a meltdown or if they get really upset so that those parents can be there for our kids. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sets everybody up for success as best as possible. Wonderful. Great, great information. Alrighty, so we're going to go ahead and uh, proceed over to our last skit. It's called Diary of a Roller Coaster. June 2nd, 1984. Dear Diary, I'm writing all this down because <laughs> I, I can't draw. So here we go. I'm sitting in the den watching the game, and I realize I haven't heard June in a little while. I worry that it's something serious, so I bolt up and I run upstairs to her room. There she's sitting there, church mouse quiet, staring at a stack of Legos she made that went from the floor to the ceiling. I mean, she used just about every Lego she had. It's kind of an indoor skyscraper. You know, I wanted to give her a high five, but, you know, she hates that. So naturally, I did what any father would do. I got in the car, and we went and got us some Legos. October 5th, 1990. Today was tough. Okay, I was in the garage, i.e. the robotics lab now, and was building a new set with June when I went to grab something from a top shelf and I fell and I knocked the whole shelf over. I mean, it was loud and you know how June hates loud noises. She moved to the corner of the room and got in this fetal position. She was so scared. Dr. Moy told me about bringing it back to her center, so here's what I did. I kept fixing up the robot and started to ask her questions, you know, you know, am I doing this right? She slowly started pitching in thoughts, thought by thought, little by little, until she saddled up right next to me. You know, watching her come back to the workbench, it was like all the color just flooded back into the room. <sighs> February 8th, 1994. Today, June 1. The science fair. And boy, I mean, she had some really stiff competition. I mean, it seems like all these kids had a little bit of help from their parents. But boy, I'm just so proud of what June was able to accomplish all on her own. Her roller coaster erector set, which was electrically powered, was such a hit. At one point, kids were gathered around it like they were going to ask her for an autograph. Luckily, they knew from class to be respectful of June's space. April 8th, 1997. Dear Diary, wow, June got accepted with scholarship to Hammerschmidt University to study structural engineering. Let that sink in. Oh my gosh, you know, when I think about all the time we spent in therapists' offices, teachers' offices, meeting with doctors, changes to her anxiety medication, no memories outshine those long nights we spent in the garage, you know, covered in grease or metal flakes, watching my girl learn how to build. June says she wants to design roller coasters. You remember that erector set? Yeah, you do. I hesitantly told her how roller coasters might be kind of loud for her, and she said, get this, I don't need to ride them. I just need to make them. (laughs) Oh, man, you know, it... 
it hasn't been a smooth ride, but man, has it been a good one. Okay, so we're back, and uh, wow, we just heard a Palmer journal his thoughts from raising his differently wired daughter, June. Now, it begins from around the age of five all the way through her acceptance through college. He's a father who has adapted to his daughter's needs, sometimes hard on himself, but has found a way to push through. She ultimately succeeds in great part due to her dad's support and encouragement. Now, doctor, how can parents find the things that excite and move their typical child so they can help them succeed in life? A lot of it is just, like you said, spending the time with the child. It's getting to know what their interests are, giving them the opportunity to express themselves mm-hmm. and not being tied into any kind of presupposition of what their, their skills, what their abilities, what their limits might be. Every child is unique. Every child is individual. And you have a unique opportunity as their parent to really just spend the time with them and to get to know their world and learn to see things a different way through their life. And this is your chance to really connect with them if you're paying attention, if you're giving them the time, you're giving them the space, you're giving them the love, they're going to let you know what they like. They're going to let you know where their skills are, where their strengths are, and you can build them up. I think this dad did a fantastic job seeing what her gifts were and helping mm-hmm. her to express those and being 100% behind it and helping her to stick with it even when there were some challenges that came up. And that's really the key is just spending the time with your kid and letting them be who they are. Awesome. Such a great topic. This story just it touched my heart, and I know that it, it touches many other parents' hearts. Now, we have so much to cover, but so little time. I want to thank you both for being here with us, for sharing such a wealth of information and expertise. Debbie, is there anything you'd like to add? And please tell us where we can find you at Tilt Parenting. Sure. Yeah. I just, one thought to leave you with, I loved that last skit. I mm-hmm. thought it was fantastic and it really shows the gifts that our kids have and how amazing this journey can look. And just one thing to think about, I just interviewed a Dr. Gail Saltz, an author who wrote the book, The Power of Different. And she says that we want to spend 80% of our time focusing on our kids' area of strengths mm-hmm. and 20% working on their deficits. So when we tap into their strengths, just the way Palmer did with June, anything is possible. And if people want to find out more about Tilt Parenting or check out the podcast, you can go to www.tiltparenting.com. There are blog posts. I just released episode 83 of the podcast, so lots of topics to cover, including a lot about autism. Good stuff. I think I'm going to go ahead and connect with one of my uh, good friends who works with me here in Chicago who uh, has a child who has autism, and he's always talking to me about resources, so I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, send them your way. Ladies and gents, that was The Struggle is Real. Make sure to share it with other parents and friends such as Veronica and I do all the time. That's right. Also download the app through iTunes and don't miss any other relevant topics. Get the Family Bridges app for additional resources, please. And as always, get blogs, tips, and more on social media with the hashtag The Struggle is Real or hashtag TSIR. Like always, thanks for tuning in. I am Omar Ramos with Veronica Avila. Till next time. This was The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. For more ideas on parenting, get your copy of The Struggle is Real by Drs. Paul Meyer and Alicia Laos on FamilyBridgesUSA.com.